Hello, thank you for joining us for the first episode of V Podcast. We're going to talk about all things people, space and technology. Today's episode is coming directly from Clerkenwell Design Week. So stick with us, grab a cuppa and I hope you enjoy. Ian, introduce yourself. I will. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my name is Ian Baker. I'm head of workplace at MCOR UK. Uh, we're a facilities management company. So, um, traditionally, we look after everything that's inside of a building, looking at um, reception, cleaning, maintenance, the, the, the whole the whole works. Um, I've been with MCOR for seven years, and we are focusing on uh, workplace consultancy. So transitioning all of that amazing stuff into workplace experience uh, so same same thing um, deploying either technology or strategy or gathering um, employee experience data however however we manage to get that and, and creating a strategy and a, and a route for continuous improvement um, I've known Simone for too many years um, we do some other work together we've worked together in the past and we, we, we do this also plug the human tech lab um, which will uh, which will go out a bit later. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the day. Yeah, and I guess um, because we've all been behind our screens for too long, um, we've all turned into small circle LinkedIn photographs. Mm-hmm. So today as well is about kind of bringing us back together into the real world as well. Um, not, not everything's good digitally. So I'm going to start with a bit of a quick fire warm up. Ian doesn't know this is happening, so I don't know the questions either. So as quickly as you can answer. <laughs> I'm going to get started, <laughs> and you can do it back to me if you want. Yeah, okay. Um, best decade for work? Nineties. Uh, uh, Biggest pet hate at work? <laughs> uh, occupancy. Uh, what's the best thing that you've seen somebody do in the workplace? Um, <laughs> God, <laughs> <laughs> Anything good, positive? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm stunning. I'll come back to it. No, back to it. <laughs> cats or dogs? Dogs. I'm allergic to cats. What's your best piece of advice that you give somebody else in the workplace? Um, don't take it too seriously. What's a book that you would recommend? Uh, I don't have in mind. Reading Citizens by John Alexander. Yeah. yeah. Are you a night owl or a morning lark? Uh, I'm a morning lark. What's the funniest thing that you've ever witnessed on a Zoom meeting? Oh, the guy that was a cat. <laughs> That's obvious, wasn't it? Yeah. I like that one. I also like the potato one as well. I've not seen the potato. Yeah, one. yeah. So that's the quick fire. We all feel oh. warm. All, uh, we get the gist of how today is going to go. Um, so it's meant to be a fun, but you know, obviously we get into a bit of workplace now. And I guess what I'm interested in at the moment is like workplace, where it's come from, where we are now, and particularly like where it could be headed. So there's obviously a lot of talk about the future of work. Let's uh, let's hash it out. What do you yeah. think the solutions are and uh, the biggest challenges? I'll let you ask me some questions as well because you know. I will. Otherwise, you'll feel like parking. <laughs> well, let, 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 let's twist that out. What's the best thing that you've seen someone do in the workplace? Best thing I've seen somebody do. Um, I oh a few years ago, um, I know that somebody was having an awful day, and I think it was just nice that they, one of the colleagues actually went left the building, came back, and they'd gone out and they'd gotten a Starbucks. And they wrote a nice message around their name on the coffee cup. And I was like, oh, that's cute. Um, I went and put it on the desk um, with a little post-it note. It just says, I hope your day gets better. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah. is that you? No. We're <laughs> <laughs> our colleagues. Um, but I thought, oh, that's the stuff that everyone misses about the workplace. Just that more human side. Yeah. Nice stuff. The empathy. Yeah. 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 Well, that's really good. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, that was a quick fire round, was it? Yeah, not really. <laughs> but that's that's uh, a link into the fact that we should be all more human and bring that humanity into the workplace, which is something that um, I think we've seen might, might not have been lost, but has certainly downgraded a bit since the pandemic and we've been working through our screens. Yeah, it's very transactional, isn't it? Very much so. I think when you look at people's diaries, back to back, back to back, back to back, um, I think with everything that's been happening over the screen, we're not getting that time between meetings to kind of like walk away from the meeting, talk to a colleague and just kind of be like, well, what do you think? And, well, let's grab a coffee and we can hash this out now and we can start acting on some of the actions as well. Instead, what's happening is we're going to the next meeting, getting to the end of the day and just going, oh, I better yeah. get through this to-do list at some point. Yeah, um, yeah. Or just completely so. working alone all day with your own thoughts and not talking to anybody else. That, yeah. That's the other thing that I see as well. Yeah. Neilish has um, started another piece of awesome work around this. Um, so you might have heard him talk about it around alpha work and beta work. Um, and what he was kind of saying yesterday was that, you know, the alpha work is the, the job description. It's your to-do list. You're getting through it. Um, but the beta work is the collaboration, the innovation, the stuff that's harder to measure. But actually for all that stuff to happen, we have to be together doing the alpha work as well. It's not a case of you're at home doing the alpha work you're getting through your to-do list, you're going to go to the office to collaborate. It, like we, we don't work like that. We go and work in the office yeah. and then we start mixing with people because like how trust is built. You can't just trust somebody just because you know that you're in the same company as them. So. Very good. We're going to go off um, piece already. Yeah. Sorry, because I read a report yesterday uh, and I think it was the Centre for Cities that came out yesterday. Did, did you see that? I saw Anthony Sumbers talk about it this morning. Um, and there word that they're using is agglomeration which is the power of more people coming together equates to more productivity yeah. which i was slightly struggling with because it was focusing on london and it was saying the more productivity was coming out of the likes of canary wharf in the, in the city of london because that's where the most people are does oh, that make sense yeah it irritates me stuff like that because i also saw, saw a report a couple of days ago i can't remember where it came out of but it was um, a report about productivity in the uk and it said, if you include the whole of the UK at the moment, we're only something like 2% more productive than pre-pandemic. Um, no, 2% less productive, sorry. Um, but when you take government out of the equation and all the civil service workers, the UK economy is actually something like 40% more productive. Oh. I was like, oh, so it's the government that are taking maybe <laughs> the issue. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> Five minutes in, we've got political already. But it shows you, doesn't it? Like when that report, and so, you know, I'll, I'll share it with everybody. Um, it's an interesting read. I was like, hmm, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but then I get to a, how are you measuring productivity? And there's too many factors in that as well, isn't there? And this report is only focusing on people coming back to work post the pandemic. It's yeah. looking at um, uh, transport for London gate uh, measures to, to, to measure occupancy. Um, and it doesn't take into account anything else like the cost of living crisis, the childcare issues that we talked about at our hack table. Um, it doesn't mention any of that stuff. It's just a really basic measure of um, GVA, I think it was gross. I'm going to come back to volume. that comment, what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the other thing it'll take into consideration is the fact that how many more train strikes can people cope with? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's massively affecting people coming into the city centre at the moment. Yeah. Um, People are just avoiding it at all costs. So, plus the cost, um, and that's the other thing with it. So, yeah, um, I guess you know we we know where we've kind of come from 
and I guess before the pandemic, we were probably kind of just trundling along. Um, I'd say the workplace industry sector was a bit boring to work in. And I was sat there thinking, oh, I've kind of nailed myself to this industry now. Like, this is where I want to stay. Um, I remember I even said to you at some point, I'm not sure I want to be doing this anymore. <laughs> because it was like doing the same things all the time. Customers asking for the same things all the time. Same problems. It was like, oh, and now <laughs> it's like the total opposite. It's like fun again. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually nice again. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I think there's been positives about the industry. Um, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's more challenging now because everybody is an expert or if they're not an expert, they're really interested in workplace. I think that brings issues that I'm not sure any of us were really prepared to kind of counteract. Um, <clears throat> I think that there is quite a lot of... Um, it, you know, it, is, it is good fun because there's more opportunity now and everybody's looking at it, but it is, it is more challenging to kind of get your... Uh, um, considered point across and, and we have to argue some of the same points that we thought yeah. we'd uh, we'd argued away like 10 years ago and they're all yeah. coming back up again yeah and even like sat with friends like before the pandemic if i just started talking about work they'd be like oh yeah yeah you manage buildings blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> now my friends share articles with me about hybrid working and i'm like go away <laughs> i do not want to see another article about hybrid working stop make it stop i don't think everybody is Everybody the dogs suddenly become an expert on work and workplace, which yeah. is hard when you've been pushing that for years and you've kind of like you know where you're at and you're like going, I'm not gonna sit here and say no, I've not I've, nobody's got all the answers. But when you're seeing other consultants sit there going, I know what exactly should be doing, you sat there going, Really? Yeah. My do I don't know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> and I think there's I've been in this massive period of like absolute imposter syndrome going, Do I not know the answers anymore? Like, do I not know what I'm meant to be doing? And actually it's nobody knows the answers. That's the actual truth. No, and I think that there's a point of uh, I read a lot of children's books because I've got seven and two year old, and um, there's there's an element of king's new clothes in some of this, isn't there? That if you're if you're willing to come out and say that you have all the answers, there are a huge number of people that are willing to listen to you. Yeah. Uh, and I think that we have traditionally been quite cautious in in our um, ability to provide solutions because we need to get the data and the evidence first. Um, so if you're if you're built to do that, get the data, get the evidence, and you can't possibly just stand up there and say you've got all the answers, um, yeah, that is frustrating. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that is. Anybody else want to chip in on that? Have you had the same frustrations? You just been us. Well, um, I suppose the hybrid working, mm. um, you know, so much talk about it obviously after the pandemic and everything, but um, I think it's safe to say that it's just work. It's yeah. a way, you know, of working now. Hybrid here to stay, so um, that way. What what do we what do you think hybrid means, Simone? Oh God, um, I think, um, and I know people like me know someone's gonna like have a dig at me because it's a four by a two by two grid and it's four boxes, but I I think hybrid is a mixture of time and place, and it's low amount of time somewhere, high amount of time somewhere, low amount of time place and then high amount of place. And the hybrid for me, it's not just about the place, it's not just office or home, it's about also the time that you're working. Um, so it's hard, isn't it? Because everyone's got used to hybrid vehicles and it's like, yeah. that's just one or the other. Oh, you can do both. Actually, that's not what we mean when it comes to hybrid workplace. Um, Absolutely, and to that point, like this week, I've been in 
the city for days yeah. um, I'm going to work from home tomorrow but I, have, I haven't been in sat at my desk in the office for all that time yeah. like I'm here now I was out walking around uh, uh, all the showrooms on Tuesday morning I've been meeting people and, and I think I embrace that I love that real flexible the, the flexi hybrid model yeah. to me that is the icing on the cake and it's something people should embrace and enjoy rather than be scared of yeah. and uh, evolve with it. Because yeah. I think like it's not it's not just about working from home and the flexibility that comes from working in your house. It's the time. It's the time of day that you work and how you work. And I think like, you know, if you're a morning person you might log on at seven o'clock and go, I'm gonna do a couple of hours, have a little bit of a break, go back to my laptop. If you're an evening person, you're gonna think actually I can I've got no meetings in the diary, I can start at eleven today, it doesn't matter. So I think you you've got the, the just the time and then during the middle of the day, like if my diary allows me to, I will go and like do a walking meeting if I don't have to be on screen. Or I'll go and walk my dog and do some thinking and I'll take a post-it you know, pack a post-it notes for me in a pen. Because I know that actually I don't like to have my phone out all the time because I get distracted. So I'll take post it on pen, take my dog out, and if I come up with anything as I'm walking, I'll write it down and remind yeah. myself. And obviously yeah. you all have time now, and yeah. the time that you used to commute, yeah. so you have all that um, to work and back. Yeah. So what do you do with that time? Yeah. Do you um, put it to work, or do you actually look after yourself with all that time? Yeah. What does it yeah. One of my friends was working fully remote um, up until three months ago. Um, they've now started a job that is for the first six months you have to go into the office and she sat there and she was like I'm so tired and I'm so bored of driving and I was like okay and she went I feel like I've like lost so many hours in my day and I was like well you, you have how long is it taking you to get there and we worked out that because she goes into the office five days a week that's 10 hours in a week it's a lot of time that that's, a, that's a whole day yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so it's um, it, yeah the commute is definitely having a massive impact and then we can talk about the planet if we really wanted to get into that as well so what about the fact that on um so i'm asking you questions now no, on, on the on uh, the news articles seem to be uh, almost every week the ceo is saying back to work or um or the opposite and their their view of hybrid is very polarizing it's either working from home or working in the office and they're completely missing the point though aren't they yeah they are i think it's uh, a lot of people I, I, at some point, we started mixing up hybrid with productivity, yeah. and I don't know why we've done that, but we can. We weren't productive before the pandemic when we were sat in the office. Presenteeism was, all the stats are there, it was high. So why now are we going, oh, if everyone's hybrid, we need to make sure we're being productive. It's like, we're probably more productive than we were sat in the office five days a week. Like, let's just you know, make take a stab in the dark at that one. Yeah. Um, so I think the CEOs that are coming out and being quite polarised, the ones that did it from the beginning, I've got more respect for, because I think there is a lot to be said for the clarity and divisive kind of like, we're doing this and this is because, you know, I won't say I agree with the decisions they made, but at least they had clarity and they stuck with it. Whereas the, com the companies now that are changing and the 80% of the top 100 FTSE companies in 2022 changed what they were doing with regards to hybrid working. And it's like, there's not nothing wrong with changing and evolving, but have they based it on data and productivity over the basic because the CEO says I want people back. <clears throat> yeah, I think that uh, my theory is that because it's more um, in the public sphere workplace and CEOs think that they need to make decisions based on the company, which they do obviously, um, that they are making these decisions without necessarily getting all the data that they 
that they should have, or maybe they didn't even know that that data and that kind of experience and knowledge is available to them. Yeah. I think they're making their decisions um, through the need to make a decision and the fact that they don't have enough data. Um, and, and it's too challenging as well. It's, it, now that we've pre-pandemic workplace was kind of, yeah, we kind of had a formula, didn't we really? You kind of go through that formula and then you can make up some decisions and some, some, some uh, solutions. Um, but now everything is so complicated, even we find it quite quite challenging. So if a CEO doesn't know that that data exists, I think they just kind of make a decision. And it's a lot easier to make a decision based on your own experiences than everybody else's. Yeah. And if you look at the average CEO's diary, that's going to be a lot of time, you know, walking around the office, having meetings, tapping someone on the shoulder. That's really hard to replicate in a remote world. So I get why they're going, oh, we need people back in the office because I can't work in the same way. When actually, if we looked at the rest of the company, is that how they would be working? And of course, we are talking about office, knowledge-based workers yeah. in all of this as well. I think gardeners are struggle to work from home, aren't they? <laughs> I'm a great gardener. So, I am. <laughs> um, yeah, is there anybody, like, any questions at that point? And uh, anything anyone wants to say? You don't have to go on camera or anything. You can take it out. Just engage. <laughs> um, well, so... As far as um, I've heard and um, how I've noticed and I've where things are going is that um, companies are now focusing more on people, on the employees, and uh, because of the pandemic, they kind of real estate has gone um, from focusing on purely on profits and company interests into focusing on the employees and what the people want, uh, because they have dictated um, after the pandemic, when they've come in, if they've come in. Um, so, um, it's interesting times, um, workplace revolution is the at the moment. Um, so, it's a big, big focus on, on, on wellness, well-being, the human aspect, um, well-being and empathy. Um, so, how, how much further um, do you think it's going to go? Forecast with the, um, yeah. In terms of um, focusing on people and well, wellness yes. and well-being, I don't think we've even started properly yet, to be honest. Um, I think that one of the things that has changed since the pandemic, other than how we use space and um, where that space is, is people's expectations of the workplace. And I think that um, we've got this difference between organizational management and um, employees' expectations and their, 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 their needs and their experience. That, that is still, I think, we're almost coming to a bit of a loggerheads with that. Um, and, we, and we need to embrace what people want in order to encourage them to come back. If that's what people want to do, if they want this agglomeration, if that, if that is actually a thing and when we're more productive together, then we need to encourage people to come back. Um, and you're only going to do that by enticing them back with something that's better than they've got somewhere else. Um, and I think well-being and wellness is an absolute key to that. Yeah, I spoke with uh, Bex Morehouse this morning, actually, if you don't follow her on LinkedIn or whatever, connect with her. Um, but we were talking this morning around well-being that works for people. Um, and the, the talk that we did was essentially, you know, organisations think about well-being as, oh, yeah, we're going to do the free fruit. Um, which actually means, you know, 10 satsumas in a bowl between 2,000 people <laughs> or whatever. Um, and then you've got things like, you know, employee assistance programs and you've got walking desks and, and they almost throw products at it when actually 
when you read all of the stats, and there's some interesting stuff that came out of mind recently, 74% of managers say that they're not interested in the well-being of their people, and it's got nothing to do with them. And when they asked the employee instead, it was like something like 68% said that their well-being had been affected by their line manager. Mm-hmm. So there's a massive gap there in like understanding between <coughs> what well-being is, because it's not the products, it's not the solutions. It's actually, we're talking about psychological safety. We're talking about making sure that people have had a pay rise in line with the fact that the world's getting more and more expensive to live in. Mm. Um, we're talking about flexible working. We, and, and from an FM perspective, we, we often talk about the indoor environment and indoor air quality uh, and how at home we can open up the window and uh, initially living in the city centre. You know, at home is, is, is probably better air than there is in London. Um, and when the smell, yeah, all sorts of pollen. <laughs> um, but all, all sorts of uh, um, you know, better air quality at home. Um, and as an FM company, you know, we are we're responsible for the space and therefore the air inside it. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're limited by the organisation's um, mechanical electrical stuff, you know, the actual structure of the building. But if you walk into a building, you hand over the responsibility of the air that you're breathing to an unnamed, unknown corporation, you know, organisation, and you don't really know what it what it's all about. Um, and we were we were discussing this at a round table the other day, and I said, well, you know, you you often will spend three, four quid on a coffee. Would you actually pay three, four quid to breathe better air in the office? And s- several people were like, absolutely not. And then, and then, like, and I kind of got it. But then, but then, when you think about it, you're being paid to accept that lower quality of air. And and, and are you are you kind of uh, comfortable with that? Mm. Um, and we're not measuring it enough. So that 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 links to um, cognitive performance. Um, you know, wellness, well-being, all that. Um, so linked to creativity, creativity, so linked yeah, to accuracy. Um, relationship building, um, and it's about being a bit more inclusive as well um, in the workplace. And doing a talk earlier, um, and colour, and interior design, furniture, and introducing colour. So many white walls <laughs> and inspiring white walls. And colour is an afterthought. Um, it's an accent of colour, bit of art, you know, at the end of a project. But if you think about it all holistically from the beginning, uh, you can achieve so much with colour. Um, it's really powerful in terms of emotions. Um, so if you, if you do it mindfully, um, and it all happens uh, at the subconscious uh, level, but if you um, bring that into your consciousness, you can amplify it. So. <clears throat> Yeah, I think I think all these factors around this have an effect. So if you're in an uninspiring place and you feel tired, um, that's going to be amplified. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the physical aspects, but of course, um, for mind artists and the relationship with managers, um, it's a completely different, just as important side of things as well. What I found interesting about the workplace is like if you're decorating your house, you'd start with colour. People are like, oh, I fancy colour, that colour in the living room. You go in workplaces, for some reason, most people start with furniture. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, we'll get some accent colours in now, or we'll paint a wall. Exactly. Imagine doing that in your house. You'd yeah. end up with, like, this, I don't know, this ridiculous colour theme, wouldn't you? I don't know. Um, so I don't, I don't know. And then, you know, you've got then the organisation brand. How do you get the organisation brand colours in a space 
without it affecting people. So an organization that the brand is red, let's say, and that is like anger, fear, lacking in trust. And you're like, oh, uh, can we change our brand colors to green? Well, <laughs> Blue? And, and, and they, they always want all of the soft furnishings to be branded in the same color as their logo, which yeah. is, as I keep on being told by, uh, by one of our designers, Logos are 2D, not 3D. Yep. They do not work when you try to take that colour and you put it into a sofa. What you can do is work with the brightness and the contrast and the saturation, and you can have an element, so you can trans there's no bad combination, but um, yeah, it's about colour design yeah. and actually being mindful. I don't know if you remember offices, I don't know, 20 years ago, um, it was grey and blue, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. It was very corporate. Um, and then about roughly 10 years ago, everything changed and it was just a burst of colour. It was primary colours and it was it was quite bold and in your face. Um, in the last couple of years, things are beginning to soften up um, and colour is actually understood a little bit more, but we still have a very, very long way um, to educate ourselves about how we can really use colour for our mental and physical health. And yeah, there was one organisation I visited not long ago actually, um, hopefully they won't listen to this, but um, their brand colours um, are brown and green and they brought that into the workplace um, and it looked like a massive chocolate lime, basically. <laughs> Everything was like, I was like, what is this colour scheme? It's awful. And like brown sofas, um, like not nice brown, I'm like, I'm like poo brown. And I'm like, <laughs> probably shouldn't do that. I like <laughs> with green cushions. With I'm green. Like, <laughs> so you've got to be careful, aren't you? Um, with, of course. Uh, like I mean, if you look in the you know circuit surveys, yeah. the town is kind of brown, yeah. and then that still is purple green. But yeah. it's just don't look like chocolate lime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can do so much with colour if you look into it mindfully. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So. I guess we've covered a little bit around where we are now, and I guess it's everyone's trying to work out what to do next. Um, we've our physical spaces for me are not like massively wrong. I think the physical space is fine. Mm. It's got the all of the activity-based working spaces that we put in years ago. I don't think they stopped being useful just because we've come out the other side of a pandemic. Mm. I think what's not working at the moment is the culture and the understanding of what work gets done in the workplace. Yeah, it's what and how you yeah. do it. I think we need to get to back to a re-education thing. And I think talking about the systems, but what you were saying about, I think we've got, almost got this citizenship kind of responsibility to go into the workplace and help people coming through the workplace today um, and almost helping them learn what works about and relearn and hopefully move past all the things that we did wrong as well. Yeah. yeah. We were talking about this the other day as well, actually, that when, when, um, when you move into a new building, um, or change FM providers, you know, obviously appointing Encore to be your FM provider of choice, obviously. Um, you know, you, you, you get given an O&M manual, and then the whole industry, construction industry has been geared up to like, you will have an operational maintenance manual and have everything in it that you need to know about running the building. And then what gets missed is the fact that that building might have a workplace strategy around it. Um, and obviously once it's got desks in it or whatever, but you know, it would be a lovely, position to get to to go look we've got this workplace strategy it's a live document and here it is and you will yeah. this is why we have um free fruit 
because of the well-being and a new person that comes in and takes over the role of, of um, FM manager might just go, well, there's a, there's a, there's a fruit cost. I'm going to make that saving, get rid of it. And, you know, and everything about that decision and the benefit to it gets lost um, at, at the stroke of a pen. I think that's a real um, danger that we've got uh, going forward. It's um, especially within FM providers as well, because we know that you know the margin can get down to like one or two percent. Yeah. We know these companies out there that would go and bid on a job and win the job just for market share. So we know this stuff happens. But then, if they are cutting something out of the workplace experience that is being put there for a reason, because they know they need to cut costs, that's gonna that's gonna hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and it's it's a hidden hurt, isn't it? Where it's gonna hurt in terms of productivity, motivation, engagement. Um, of the people using the space. So as much as people might think, oh, it's free fruit, yeah, there's, there's only 10 tatsumas between 1,000 people, take it away, there's going to be a riot. Like, there's <laughs> going to be like, well, hang on a minute, I, I battled at the best time to get one, and now there's none, and you know, all the people that get it in the morning and keep it on the desk for a week and think, I'll eat that at some point, I just need to take it because it's not going to be in the fruit bowl when I actually want it. Yeah. All of them types of people that I've seen. Um, they're still going to think that something's been taken away from them. Yeah, when you come out of your meeting room that's like 3,000 CO2 parts per million and you're yeah. already tired and you need that banana and it's yeah. not there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I don't know whether that's a, a thing that we can advocate as fruit that offsets high CO2. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe avoid avocados. I think they've got quite a high <laughs> yeah, CO2 themselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what's irritating you about work at the moment? Not like not your work at MCOR, obviously, but like... The, the world of work, I guess. Um, that was irritating. Uh, I think, I mean, the, the, the polarisation is still really irritating in terms of in, in the world of work and the discussions around work about um, whether we should or shouldn't be uh, working from home or in the office. I find that quite frustrating. Um, actually, I guess the biggest thing is people keep on talking about the future of work, which, I mean, we all talk about the future of work. Um, and I've, I've had a bit of a, a rethink about that because I think we keep on looking too far into the future and uh, work is here and now. Yeah. And there's all this stuff that is that needs to be fixed now uh, and we should be focusing on doing that um, and not looking to some unicorn of the future that might never actually exist. Yeah, I think if we look too much at the future, we're going to lose everything that we can actually impact the future with now. Yeah. I think we, we're going to lose a lot of wins that we could possibly, you know, all them things that we could potentially reset as we go back to normal working. Um, you know, all the things that we could potentially gain from the experiences and the lessons that we've been taught as well. Yeah. We could potentially lose that because we're too looking ahead. And I yeah. think, you know, that's why all the talk around metaverse kind of drives me a little bit insane because if you you talk about the metaverse and i get it i get the purpose of it i get it but the average office in the uk has got half dead plants in the corner of it <laughs> the furniture that's ripped up the, the, the oxygen levels are awful like you go into a, a northern council office that's a very different experience from the metaverse yeah um, so like we, we focus on the future and actually there's so many workplaces at the moment that are just a mess and you know Anthony Slumbers quoted something the other week at the Purpose for Intent event and it was um, by 2030 with like minimum um, energy efficiency standards 
and actually 85% of our buildings are not going to even qualify for the minimum standards at the moment. On the Paris Agreement. Yeah. yeah. And we need to spend 15 billion every single year up to 2030 to make our buildings energy efficient. Yeah. You're like, so why are we talking about the metaverse? <laughs> like, well, yeah, do you know, that, 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 that statistic's quite interesting. And there's, uh, I did a bit of research around the, the number of buildings that will be in occupation in 2050. I'm 80% of, of the buildings that we're going to use in 2050 have already been built. Yeah. And um, apparently, uh, and, and you and people listening can do their own research on this, um, the homes we live in, at the rate of change, refurb or rebuild, they're going to have to last 2,000 years. And if you think about it, it's not, you know, we're all living in, well, we're living in old houses, but a lot of the housing stock is post-war and, um, you know, it's crumbling already, isn't it? I remember, you know, drilling, drilling a hole into a, uh, into a wall in my 1900 house and it's, you know, literally the whole wall fall down, yeah. you know, I didn't want a hole that big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, now, now, now we're in Got the... Got door. <laughs> no, a brand new door, yeah. Now, now, now we're in the seventies house, and it's, you know, and, that, and that's all right. It's kind of fine, but give it, give it like fifty years. You know, it's, yeah. it's all going to start crumbling. And I found that really interesting. Two thousand years. It obviously isn't going to be a while for us. Yeah. But you know, you never know. Maybe something will happen. Some technology will come out, and we live forever. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll all be in, uh, you know, factory units plugged into the metaverse. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't. Every, every time I hear the metaverse, I don't know if anybody's old enough to uh, remember Red Dwarf by just think of Dwayne Diddley. Yeah. That's the metaverse for me. Yeah. yeah. I know we were at a conference where we, we listened to an advocate of the metaverse, and, and uh, I'm not going to mention who it was, but the, the, the selling point was that you could all have um, a Malibu beach house in the metaverse. And you know, if you had a Malibu beach house in the metaverse, you know, where would you rather be? And, and then and everybody was like, yeah, that's quite good. But I was saying, you're still, I mean, if, you, if you're living in a flat, in Portsmouth, which is where I'm from, so we're not going to be I'm not going to be derogatory against any other city. If you're living in a flat in Portsmouth and you have a Malibu beach house in the metaverse, you're still in a flat in Portsmouth. <laughs> you're not yeah. in the Malibu beach house. Exactly. Yeah. So unless we all start walking around with like VR headsets on constantly, yeah. and just, you know, bumping into cars and yeah, the tech the technology is going um, far at the moment. Like even down to I was at Heathrow not long ago and I bumped into something and I said sorry. I went sorry. I thought I bumped into a person and it was a robotic cleaner. Yeah. And then I was like, oh sorry. Like and I was like, you said sorry to robots? Did they? <laughs> oh, we, I'm we, a bit more. We, we tried to say please and thank you to Alexa because 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 our our kids or the, uh, the one that actually interacts with it will just chat. Scream at it if it doesn't play the right song. You know, I said. Yeah. You, know, you have to say thank you. Yeah. Can you believe that like Alexa and like Google Assistant, it, it only came out in like 2016, 17? Yeah. yeah. It feels like it's been here forever now. Yeah. When um, we talked about the whole metaverse and all that AI future and everything, at the purposeful intent um, uh, incubator session that Simone and I took part in the other day. Yeah. We 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 answered our um, our questions and thought process through interpretive dance. Where basically we became <laughs> part of an AI bot okay. um, to uh, Simone decided to sit it out with yeah. a laptop. But <laughs> Why <are> Simone? <laughs> uh, well <laughs> <laughs> not dancer. 
glided across the floor and sort of when we weren't selected we sadly went down like yeah. that. But it was it was a really insightful and thoughtful view. Yeah. And it just made me think I like interacting with humans. Yeah. yeah. I like being in the office. I also like being at home, but I don't like that whole one size fits all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no. that, that, that is the uh, that should be tattooed on all of us, shouldn't it? Yeah. One yeah. size doesn't fit all. Uh, I mean, AI. It would be all the same, so then that wouldn't work. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. It could be different colours. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> um, different fonts. I mean, AI a- a- is an issue, isn't it? I mean, what the, uh, um, was it BT earlier this week? Yeah. Well, we mentioned that. 50 odd thousand people are going to be made redundant because they've not blamed AI, have they? They've said there's an element of fiber and, and the technology that has improved the service so that they don't need that many people. And then, but you do kind of wonder why are we doing that? You know, because the 50,000 that's a huge number of people, that's massive, isn't it? I don't know what percentage that's going to increase to the unemployment stats, but that, that's that's ginormous. And then you think, well, we've made them all redundant because we've made something better. But actually, what have we made better? Because we've made a massive chunk of people's lives a lot worse. And it's not just the people that have lost the job; it's their children. And this, this, it's, it's, you know, it could be one hundred and fifty thousand people that are going to be impacted by that, if not more. Yeah, because then you can look at like that ripple effect as well around like it's not just losing a job; it's going to go into their health. Yeah. Their mental health. Yeah. Um, it's taking up to six months at the moment to get talking therapy on the NHS. Yeah. They're already saying that the NHS next year has got 26 billion black hole. And actually the things that are going to be cut are mental health services, cancer treatments and GP surgery. I was like, well, I think all three are already pretty, pretty screwed. Yeah. So how's this going to get worse? Like, yeah, that, also that, vital. That, I mean, I don't know whether it's just a generational thing, but I think for me, it, 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 the, the rise of technology and AI and when, when we talk about it replacing humans, I know that's really quite um, uh, uh, emotional, but if if people that exist, if their jobs are being taken away by technology and AI, I, I just don't really see the point of it. Yeah. Like, you know, going back to citizens and, you know, the point of society is to have people in it, not to make them redundant. Yeah, go back to being a hardwired human being and we're about tribal connection, yeah. purpose, being together, achieving something together, and that's that's going back you know, thousands of years. So actually what we should be using AI to automate and improve things to help us have more human connection yeah. and community and the things that we, you know, in theory, I'd love technology to go to a point where, yes, we can all work three, four day weeks or whatever because technology is looking after it, but that doesn't mean that we only get paid three days wage because um, that'll be a problem, you know, yeah. well, these, you know, pressing reset maybe, I don't know. I mean, it goes back years, though, doesn't it, when you look at um, old videos of um, American housewives with, uh, all of a sudden they have a washing machine and a, yeah. and a dishwasher, and this will save you hours, but yeah. it, it, it never did, did it, no. because you find something else, or someone finds something else for you to do within those hours, yeah. so, um, you know, it, it's not the case that we have all these labour-saving devices, and therefore we're living in paradise Eating grapes on a sun lounger, you know, we 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 all just we all we all find work to do. Yeah. We're not, the, the, and that goes back to um, you know early days about people saying people are lazy. Hence, workplaces used to be very factory orientated. Yeah. People aren't lazy. We find stuff to do. Yeah. I reckon as well. Filling my dishwasher and emptying it again. I think that takes longer than actually just washing up. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but I would be that. 
but yeah. it's still still right. Yeah, not just my time because I'll fill it, but then my wife shouts, "Oh, I've stacked it!" So then she unpacks it and packs it again. So actually, I think he's very inefficient. Well, you need a time and motion study. Yeah. And then there's never a clean spoon when you want one either. Yeah. 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 Like, can we buy some more forks? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Um, so yeah, it's um, yeah, it, there's pros and cons, isn't there? Um, What's the one question that uh, you wish I'd have asked you or wish, one thing we should have spoken about? Anything that's come into mind, anybody? Open it up. Anything you wish we'd spoken about that you'd come here, or you just come for pizza and prosecco? Oh. <laughs> we'll get the pizza in a minute, it's going to be freezing. Oh, I thought you would, you would tell me earlier about uh, you know, the hybrid um, notion and how you, know, you were looking for ways of um, resolving that issue mm. in your office. And, yeah. You know, changing the setting changing from the toilet by the BC. Yeah, um, I feel like hybrid working has caused like a little bit of a rift in just like workplace relationships. Yeah. And it's just like, it's good to get new ideas of how to mend those relationships to then, you know, keep people on board for longer. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's insightful actually. And, and one of the things that you mentioned earlier that I was going to ask you about was the, um, the fact that we're trying to merge digital working with face-to-face -face working and although the um, spaces that we've got from pre-pandemic are really good they don't necessarily merge you know meetings that are half half digital half in, in person yeah. that that i think is a real challenge that and that that um ability to create social connections i think mm -hmm. is is a difficult there, there was a conference that um was was obviously online during the pandemic and it had a, a button that in the, in the in the coffee break you would just press a button and connect to anybody else that had pressed the same button, yeah. which was kind of brilliant because you know you were, and it was limited to five minutes as well. So if you connected randomly with someone that you thought, mm, <laughs> you know, you, you only had to talk to them for five minutes. Whereas if you walk yeah. up to someone with a cup of coffee at a yeah. conference and you're like in a fellow and you're like, oh no, I don't want to talk to you, <laughs> and you, kind of, you, you, you have to embarrassingly try to get yourself away. I thought that was really good, and I and I kind of think that there's a market for doing that in teams. So in your organisation. To bump into people that you might not necessarily bump into, you know, you could schedule a time of day and just like smash the meet someone random button. Get on Dragon's Den, speed mating. Yeah, speed mating. <laughs> yeah. Have you just come up with that? Yeah. Speed mating. Speed mating, Dragon's Den. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think we need to edit that out and then like kind of create that. Yeah, I think we should. Hit <laughs> it first. Yeah. But yeah, I think it is because actually it's harder now because you're not seeing people that you've got your relationships and your, your strong ties have been strong throughout the pandemic. You carried on them strong ties, but the weaker ties have got weaker because you've just not seen them people that you randomly walk past them in the corridor and go, hi. And that's, that, that never really happens anyway, does right. it? There, there's, there's this huge thing. Uh, that, the that water cooler. The damn uh, water cooler. The report that I mentioned, it, it talks about serendipity meetings and serendipitous yeah. creativity a lot. And I, I don't actually really subscribe to that. I think that you know who you need to meet yeah. in order to have those conversations. Like the, when you do meet those people, then you can create more stuff when you are together, but you don't do that with someone you just bump into like having a cup of coffee. No. You already know who they are. You walk past them, say hello, and that's it. And then at some point you'll go, oh, that's what they can do for me. I should have a proper conversation with that yeah. person. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I feel bad that I've never actually struck up a conversation with you. Now I need something, and I've just waved at you in a corridor for the last ten years. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but can I have the thing now? That's always what happens. Um, if this goes further and we do a V podcast season 
in episode two, if everyone doesn't listen to this and it's awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got sore throat at the moment as well, so I'm on my full. Uh, who would you recommend that we uh, we bring on? Who would you think I should sit and talk to? Um, I mean, you can come back and talk to him as well if you yeah, like. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> Oh, was, we can we can plug quite a lot of people, couldn't we? Really, yeah. um, I would quite like to um, speak to John Alexander, though mm-hmm. the guy that's written the Citizen book. I think yeah. there's an element of um, workplace in his thinking that would be good to explore. Yeah, let's try that. Let's get on it. So we've uh, we've got a um, the Human Tech Lab, which we started as a roundtable, and then we turned it into a hackathon, and then we called it a, a hack, hack table. table. So we've been doing this and it's basically like hacking the problems that we've got in the workplace today and carrying them forward um, and coming up with solutions. And actually, we want to really talk to some town planners um, and people that are in local council to really just kind of go, what are you guys doing in line with to help this? What's been actually done on public transport, for example, to help yeah. this people to go back to the workplace and to drive the future of work, I guess, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, there's lots going on with that. And if you'd like to attend a session in the future, just let us know. Uh, that's for people in the room and uh, anybody listening. Um, but yeah, it's we're doing it quarterly. So we did our first one um, back in April. Yeah. Just published our paper this week. Um, and we look back at January, February, March, what's happened in them three months. Did the round table, hack table, and then wrote the paper up. And then we're going to go again in July, aren't we? Yeah. So we'll uh, get some momentum, hopefully, behind it, uh, I guess. The idea really is about bringing different viewpoints of different people together and not just people that we always talk to. So anybody's welcome. Good, that was a good plug. Yeah, it's long, probably edited out after that, but yeah. <laughs> it's been that time of day now where I've just been speaking so long, I'm just like You've melting. Well. <laughs> just like, oh. Let's uh, wrap it up and get some pizza. And there you go. That is the end of episode one. We hope you enjoyed listening. Thank you to Ian Baker for joining us today. Um, and also thank you to the Clerkenwell Design Week workshop participants that attended. You'll uh, you'll have heard them kind of pop in and make comments throughout that podcast. So a big thank you. Today's uh, episode was um of course very relaxed. It was a a small round table where we were just discussing the future of work, the current challenges that we've got now, and essentially how we can all build a better future together. So I hope that was enjoyable for you and uh, look forward to hosting episode two. Next up is Toby Niven from Vectorflow. So look out for that. We'll be talking all things security in the workplace. Thank you.